Christmas Unlocked plus 100 experience points. Welcome to This Game Where with me, Chris, and... Me, Ashley! Hello, everybody, in the same room. We're in the same room because it's Christmas. Yeah. And I looked over to you for your reaction to that, and it felt really weird looking to you in person. I actually didn't listen to what you said. And I'll tell you why. Just because say I was, I was focused. I was so focused on my turn taking, making sure I didn't talk over you, good boy. That I, uh, I didn't hear. What did you say? Something good. I, shall I listen to it in the edit? Christmas unlocked plus one hundred experience points. Ah, okay, because it's Christmas. It's, it is Christmas. It's Christmas. It's the second of our Christmas episodes. It's the first one we're doing an actual game as opposed to a gift guide. Yeah. So we're in the same room because we're which is weird. As usual. The only time we ever see each other in person. Once a year. Yeah. A few more times, but this is for, for the podcast. This is the uh, the only time, isn't it? It has it's been tradition. Well, not even traditionally. Just last few years, isn't it? Pandemic in that. Yeah. Started this off. Yeah. Bad but, times. But presents. So... Do you remember? We actually did... Sorry. sorry. Presents. Yeah, presents. But but also, meh. Um, do you remember when we started this podcast? We used to, used to come around to my house and we would record about four episodes in a run. Yeah, we started. And we were doing it monthly. Six o'clock, and then I'd, we'd finish about like four in the morning, and then I'd drive back home. I'd yeah. Feel like asleep. Rolled. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I don't. It was only the pandemic, I think. It was the pandemic that made us do it differently. Cool. So, so I've got some presents. Now, I'm not going to do this game where I spill. Well, I might do it afterwards because the presents are going to tell you the game. Yeah. I'm quite proud of these presents. Now, there's two of them. One of them is going to tell you the console that the game is on, and the other one is going to tell you the game. So it's it's, it's up to you whether you want to t- be told the console first or the game first. And maybe two questions. Yeah. Right? Maybe three questions. So this looks like Ecotape. Is, is that Ecotape? It is Ecotape. That's yeah. pretty cool. Where did you get it? Off Amazon, ironically. Right, okay. This looks like soap. It's not soap. Okay, this is the sort of size that it could actually be a console. Is this... It's like not, a second-hand PlayStation. It's not a second-hand mm. PlayStation. I was this close to getting you a second-hand console. Really? Yeah, I asked you by text the other day, what consoles do you actually own? Yeah. And you gave me the answer. That was because I was prepping your presents, and one of the things that I was thinking is I might get him a second-hand console. Ooh, exciting. But it would have just gone back in your attic, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Definitely, definitely yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what my thinking was. Well, people have to tune in next week, although for us it'll be a few hours away, uh, to find out what that presents are. Look at that. Those presents are, that present is. Look at that, a bit of a spiel, a bit of uh, advertising there for the next episode. They've got to be listening to the podcast. So it is up to you. Do you want to go for the console or do you want to go for the game? I'll go for the soap. The thing that's not soap. Okay, open that. So open the soap. That's it. Hold it close to the microphone so people can hear the excitement. I don't think I need to. I think these microphones are pretty good. Look, it's picking. Yeah, that's it. Rip it. Go on. Oh, yeah. bubble wrap. Hello. It's a Game Boy game. It's got Tetris on the front, Chris. It has. So I just opened, let me just do, hang on a second. More bubble wrap. I just opened a present and it is a little blue Game Boy with glitter all around the screen. And it's actually a Christmas decoration, which is which is amazing. I don't, where did you even get this? Uh, you don't have to tell me. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Floral silk Christmas. Very Absolutely. nice. I have never seen anything like this, but it's perfect and will definitely be going on our tree. Good. And it, it's you. also got a twofold meaning because as well as being something linked to games, uh, for me to get you, it's also reminded me of Christmas because it reminded me of the time we went to a Christmas party together and you dressed as a Tetris block. It wasn't a Tetris block. I was a Game Boy a game with boy. Tetris on it. That was it. And, and it had and a Tetris you, cartridge in the back. My main memory was of you lying on your back on the dance floor, cocking your leg up in the air and going, spin me around, spin me around. And then I had to grab your leg and spin you around on your back on the floor like a, like a turtle. Right. Let's just be clear, right? Firstly, that was part of a larger breakdancing um, oh, yeah. routine yeah. that I did, in, which included a very airborne worm. I, I've there's a photograph somewhere. Someone's got it. Um, there's a photograph of me in midair, halfway through doing that worm with the Game Boy on. Um, and then you, the thing that you've just described, spin me around. That was the comedy end to the breakdance routine. It was supposed to be funny, and it's you're looking it. about it ten it's, years it's later. A, it's a fond so. memory. It's a very fond good. I'm memory. glad. This is genuinely amazing. It's got Tetris on. Yeah. I'm assuming that that's a bit of a red herring. 
Not yes. Tetris. It's not Tetris, no. No, so this is going to key me into the game. So it's a Game Boy game. Yeah. This is going to tell you the it, game. Is it going to be super obvious? Yeah, it is. Okay. But that's okay. Okay. It's a jigsaw. It's the Zelda game. So I'm thinking then, there's... I mean, we've done Link's Awakening, haven't we? No. Is it Link's Awakening? It is Link's yeah. Awakening on the yes. Game Boy. Okay, cool. Good. I love Link's Awakening. And that's a lovely jigsaw. Now, it's it's fine for pieces. It's a big brown map of Hyrule. If you can do that, I'd be very impressed because it's it's I basically brown and black. I can do that. I definitely will do that. Um, Probably today. Yeah? Yeah, you'll leave. And you'll sit I'll do it. it. By the time you get home, done. Yeah? Hit you on WhatsApp. Yeah, we're doing Link's Awakening now. Good, thank you. I'm, this is going to be a good episode. It is, because I flipping love this game. Me too. However, confession. Haven't finished it. For me, it's not a game I got at Christmas. It's a game I associate what? with Christmas, though. That's fine. Okay, I think that's, that's fine. Right. I think that fits the format fine. Good. I just wanted to kind of get that out, out in the open. Uh, elucidate on that. Elaborate. It's a New Year game. It's fine. You got New Year's presents? No. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not quite that. <laughs> that. So we talked, I mean, bizarre by coincidence, uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago during the Sparrow episode about a friend that I used to go, um, used to play Sparrow at her house. And it was on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day one year where I sat and played Sparrow for eight hours. Yeah. So we went through a phase, my family and her family, of spending different New Year's. Like they'd come over to ours one year, the next year we'd go to theirs and spend New Year, just kind of up to about half 12. And then we'd usually go home or there'd be a sleepover situation or whatever. Now, one new year, and I think... I think a sleepover situation. Well, yeah, I, well, what's, I don't think that all... We were a family of four, they were a family of four, and I don't think that all four people slept over. I think that me and my brother slept over at the other people's house a couple of times, so my mum and dad went back home and vice versa. Right. I believe. I just liked the phrase, a sleepover situation. We ran into a sleepover situation. Like, it was a completely unexpected... Oh, well... <laughs> Guess Might we're staying well. over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. It conjured up thoughts. But this friend had, and I think it must have been for Christmas, maybe 1998. Can we put a name to the friend? It doesn't have to be a real name. Eustace. Yeah, Eustace. There we go. Yeah. Eustace. That's, it. That's a, a good choice of name. Going over to Eustace's house, she, which is quite confusing <laughs> for Eustace, she had, I think for Christmas 98, she had been bought a Game Boy. And Link's Awakening. So I went over for New Year's and she was like, look at this game. And I was like, blimey, this is good. And during the sleepover situation, I remember sitting up in the, the spare bed, in the spare room, um, and I borrowed the Game Boy and I borrowed Link's Awakening and I was sat at a new game and I, I couldn't put it down. I just, just sat playing it. Sorry, they knew that you'd borrowed oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't sneak it. There okay. I said, Can you put that? And she said, yeah, sure, use this said, yeah, sure. And so I, I sat playing Link's Awakening. That was how I welcomed in the new year, I think, 1999. Lovely. And so did you save over their game? Did it have multiple slots? I don't think it did, but I mm. gave, I mean, it would be normal for a, a Zelda game to have three slots. Probably had three slots. Let's just be charitable let's, let's until we play assume, it and say that you didn't save over their game. Did, yeah. But what I did later on, I think I'll complete it first, but when we saw her, when I saw Eustace a bit later on in the year, I said... Is there any chance I could? And this is quite a cheeky ask. Is there any chance I could borrow your Game Boy and uh, Link's Awakening? And she said, "Yeah, sure." So I took it home and I, I had this Game Boy and Link's Awakening for a good few weeks and just sat playing it over and over. You looked I mean, absolutely appalled by that. Yeah, I that because that is so cheeky. That I, like, I know. I I felt cheeky at the time. Like yeah, but this you is, couldn't resist. Yeah, it was that's disgusting behaviour. Yeah. I was it was some white. It was some. I don't say white. And I couldn't get it, so... Yeah. Well, I wanted it, so it was fine. Yeah, there you go. You've explained it for everybody yourself. It's fine. I don't need to weigh in. I was going to try and wrap that up and kind of make that sound a bit better on myself. You I don't didn't. Think you I made it sound worse. I don't think I can. No, you made it sound worse. Well, it's going to get worse. Look, I wanted it, so I tried to get it. It's going to get worse because later on in 1999... You refused to give it back, didn't you? No. Link's Awakening... Sorry, did you say back in 99? Towards the end of 90... I'm probably muddling my words. No, it's, no, no. Back, back in 99. It's fine. Back, back in 1999. Watching movies all the time. I can't even remember what the song is, but I don't that know. is a line from a song. Is it? I don't Back know. in 99, watching movies all the time. 
We'll find out. For me, it's break. back in 99 playing Link's Awakening all the time because in 99, Link's Awakening DX came out in the Game Boy Color. Yeah. And this is where it gets worse because my little brother had a friend. <laughs> Not even your friend. Who had a Game Boy Color. And he had Link's Awakening DX. Oh. And I said to, I said to my brother's friend, um, hey, um, uh, oh, that's good. I'm sorry, Game Boy Color and Link's Awakening DX. And because they were four years younger than me, Said, yeah, sure. So I had, uh, I had Link's Awakening DX on, on the Game Boy Color. So this game I played multiple times on multiple consoles, none of which I owned. The first time I actually owned Link's Awakening was in 2019 uh, for the Switch remake. None of which you owned, but you took ownership of. Yes. Yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. I'm glad you're telling this story because. You know, for people that might have listened to more than one of our episodes, this is a real light being shone on you right now. Like, that, this is Chris. Uh, nice to meet you. This is the real Chris. <laughs> well, Chris will stop at nothing to play games. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is that element, yeah. Element. The entitlement, isn't it? I mean, come on, it's staring you in the face. Don't make me say it. You, you, you set me up to make me sound cruel to you, but actually there is this entitlement all over. You are taking other people's stuff to be able to get your fix. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like an addict, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'm just going to borrow you, Telly. I'm just going to... I won't sell it. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Yeah, completely. Yeah, no, Guilty. no defence. Guilty, Your Honour. Cool. So. There is no defence. No, there isn't. Link's Awakening is the first Zelda I ever played as well. Yeah. It was, I it was the second. No, it was the third. So I played A Link to the Past. Then I played Ocarina of Time. Then I played Link's Awakening. And what Link's dream. Awakening is so good that having played those two previously had no bearing on how... How amazingly I yeah. thought of this game. Yeah. And Link's Awakening is a peach. Top notch. Yeah, I have very good memories of this. It's also, we talked about this in the last few weeks as well. It's also a game I remember fondly because I experienced the whole thing myself. I it was before we had the internet at home, so I couldn't go to Game of ah. and, and look into what to do in each dungeon. Mm. So I had to persevere. And not persevere, that's the wrong word, because it's it's fairly it was very linear and structured, and you know what to do next. And I because I had to do that, that kind of, I think, heightened my enjoyment of it. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I've just got nothing but fond memories of this game. So, let's go into what the game itself is. It is, for anyone that's not familiar, it's a top-down 2D overhead-type action-adventure. Obviously, it's a Zelda game. It was also the first handheld Zelda, which I didn't quite realise, but yeah, makes that sense. makes sense. Okay. Yeah, It released 1993 worldwide. It was released in uh, June in Japan, August in America, and December in Europe. Initially, the game began as a side project after hours at Nintendo because staff were what, looking into what the Game Boy is capable of, and they were testing the limitation of the console and doing who knows what with it. And side to that, Nintendo were also looking into porting Link to the Past from the SNES onto the Game Boy, and attempts to do that didn't go very well. And then what happens is this side project that the staff were looking at testing what the Game Boy is capable of kind of merged into the idea of, of a Zelda game. So they put the two things together to say, hey, let's put those two things and make a Zelda game out of that. Uh, the game was also intended as a spin-off slash being separate to the main titles, hence the change in, in location. Mm. So it's not set in Hyrule, which I think every other Zelda is practically. Ish. Yeah, there's... I mean, they go to different places as well. Um, Termina is um, Majora's Mask. Okay. So that isn't Hyrule. Mm, yeah, fair point. Um, but it's like a mirrored version of Hyrule. And then you've also got the other mirror-type worlds, like the Dark World and mm. Link to the Past, which is a, a dark version of Hyrule. And you've got Lowrule yeah. in um, Link the between... amazing 3DS game that I forgot the name of. Link, Link Between yeah. Worlds. Perfect. Yeah, good, good remembering. Thank you. So this is set on Coalint Island. There's no Zelda's, no Triforce. And what the developers want... I think to that do... is a thing that, for the most part, distinguishes it. Although, again, even there, you've got things like Minish Cap, I think, doesn't... No, Minish Cap does have Zelda. But Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, I don't think you rescue Zelda. Your knowledge of Zelda extends a lot deeper than mine. Oh. I've never played those. Uh, and you're not obviously doing it in Majora's Mask either. What the developers wanted to do then was 
um, imbue the game with this kind of like dreamlike feel and make it feel really woozy and almost like a bit surreal. They were really inspired by Twin Peaks during development as well. That's an interesting... And they wanted to kind of give the game this this ethereal mm. sense. Uh, the scriptwriter, interestingly, um, is now a big cheese in Nintendo and was a producer on Mario Odyssey and started off with this. Name? Pretty. Yoshiaki Koizumi. There you go. Thank you. Ashley's had to read out because I can't pronounce it. Bad. Batman. The wooziness of the game is kind of one of my main memories as well. The way the game feels, um, like the, the, it's, it's really surreal as well. Like, do you remember the, the plot of it? Link is washed up on an island, uh, which reminds me a bit of Odysseus, and yep. he's rescued by Marin on the beach, mm. and they have this really lovely relationship through the game that's not romantic, just a really strong pairing, which I really liked as well. And in order to escape the islands, he has Link, to wake up the windfish. Yeah, he has to wake up the windfish. He meets this giant owl who tells him, oh, to get off the island, you've got to wake the windfish who's asleep in a giant egg on top of this mountain. And you have to find these eight instruments. They're all hidden in different dungeons and play them to, to wake the windfish and get you off this island. But if you wake the windfish, the entire island will be destroyed. Yeah, dark. Yeah. So you spend the whole game playing through, knowing that when you escape this island, when you complete this game, mm. all these characters you're creating these bonds with are just going to go. Yeah. And I like the ending. It's one of the few times in um, fiction, literature, films, where the ending, and it was all a dream, actually it feels works. like a, a nice payoff. But it's also quite bittersweet because of that relationship that you have created with the island and the characters knowing that they are going to go at some point i don't think it's a but there i think that those two things are completely related okay they the idea of it's it was all a dream being a terrible ending is just that because it it removes any kind of weight of of what's come before of the narrative whereas here the fact that it's all a dream if it is all a dream oh also, I suppose spoilers, because we've just talked. Yeah, whoops. Point. Uh, sorry about that. We'll pop it in the notes or something. Spoiler of the um, year old game. Yeah, which has just come out on Switch in a remastered three version. years ago. Three years ago. But, uh, you know, people will be getting that for Christmas, I'm sure. Potentially, yeah. So not people that listen to this podcast, I'm sure, as well. But, you know, cover our bases. Absolutely. Um, what was I saying? Yeah. So normally it strips a narrative of its weight. Here, because of the, as you said, the the relationships that you build up on this island, um, and because you go through the whole thing knowing that your actions are going to have consequences for these people, and because they feel so real mm-hmm. to to link in the game, the that it that then builds way into the fact that you are about to wake up and it was all a dream because it wasn't necessarily all a dream it also it also i think it plays on that idea really well as to like the the nature of reality and what we class as real and what we class as not real because i think everyone listening to this would agree that dreams aren't real and yet sometimes i've had dreams that feel so real and they're they're some of the most out there weird things that we experience but we dismiss them as um, inconsequential a lot of the time or, yeah. and and unreality. Here, this game is is sort of putting forward this idea that maybe our dreams are more meaningful, are more real to us than, or maybe they could be more real to us than that than we actually give them credence for. Which is an idea I think is an interesting one. And that's something that's quite buried within the game. That games that had that as a concept, they would probably make that a bit more front and centre, whereas that's kind of your inference from the game, isn't it? Which I think is quite interesting as a concept as well. Yeah. If if you were going to level any complaint at it, I would say maybe it doesn't dwell on that long enough. It's, a, as you say, it's sort of something that you're left to infer. It is laid out for you, the the... The consequence, your, yeah, your your um your victory will be our doom mm. sort of situation, but I don't think it's really referred to again once that's been laid out. But then 
I also don't know whether if they were constantly saying, oh, don't, don't do it, or something like that, if it would undermine the feel of the game anyway, the, the feel of the relationships and things. From what I remember, the characters have no awareness that that's happening, that I think it's a conversation between Owl, the Owl and Link, and yeah. they have no understanding. Yeah, the other really. characters have no understanding of that being a concept. This dreaminess in the game also extends to a few appearances. This game is quite famous for having um, appearances from Mario characters and also mm-hmm. Kirby which, as far as I remember, or as far as I'm aware, don't appear in any other Zelda games. Kirby is a baddie. Is he? I think he might be. I think he's... Uh, is he one of the dungeons? Like, he tries to suck you up. Hmm. Oh, don't remember. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and the Mario characters, there's Yoshi, Piranha Plants, there's Boo, and there's a really memorable bit with a, a Bow Wow, one of those chain chomps. You have to take it for a walk around the island, which yeah. I think was pretty cool. A stand-in for a, a dog, like yes. a guard dog, and yeah. you use him actually to get to one of the... Spoilers, you use him to get to one of the dungeons. I think it's Bottle Grotto. Oh, wow. I'm very impressed at how much you remember this game. Well, I played it a lot. There are also things that I can't remember, like whether Kirby was a bad guy or not. I think he was. Yeah. I think. But you also you have like the underground areas that you go down into, and instead of it being top-down, you have a 2D side-scrolling platformy type thing. When you've got the rock feather, which yeah. allows you to jump, you can stomp on Goombas. Goombas, yeah. So there's like a, even just a little taste of Mario, which again, yeah. as you say, sort of feeds into this dreaminess, even for the player, because mm. you've got this melding of games that they, they have two different games mm. that they'd be familiar with. I'm just trying to remember if the, those bits even have the underground music. Yeah, I, I don't know whether that's Mandalaring. I think so. There's another element of mandala effect that i don't know if i'm under the influence of because i very strongly recall playing this game through in a day and well, you, I, you mentioned that in an earlier episode of the podcast and yeah. someone contacted me to say what is he on about you can't complete this did they really yeah right well this is what i've this is what i was um gonna say because who who was that nick oh right okay nick's nixon Nick Nick's a bad guy, so <laughs> just yeah. just for the point, how long to beat? It says fourteen, 14 hours. Yeah, so twenty if you want to do all the side stuff. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. must have been going some to yeah. it in a day. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was a full day's work. Work. Yeah, it was a full day's work. But I was playing this. I, this is why I like. I'm not saying that I was definitely doing this. I'm saying this is my memory of it, and I didn't make that clear last time. Okay. At the same time, I was playing this back to back. I was starting it in the morning, possibly finishing it, but probably not finishing it based on the timings that people are banding around, but finishing it at the end of the day and then starting it again the next day. And I did that for weeks. Well, that's so what I, I was did. playing this every day, consecutive days, start to finish, start to finish, start to finish, which is maybe where I've sort of misremembered it because I've just then slotted the start to finish yeah. to fit into a day. Possible that it was overhanging into a day, but I know for a fact that I was finishing it and immediately restarting it. I think that's what I did when I brought off various people playing it on the bounce like that. Yeah. I think it's the sort of game where once you knew, okay, I've got this item from this dungeon, now I know I need to go to this part of the map yeah, to absolutely. use that. Like it's it's quite you can learn it by rote, I think. You can you can know if you know the game inside out. If you know exactly where you need to be, then yes, it's very pass a uh, passable yeah. game. On top of that, the thing to remember and the thing that I would rebuke Nick with is that how long to beat times are averages. They are not be all and end alls, and those averages have upper bounds and lower bounds. So you know, fourteen hours would suggest a reasonable upper bounds of ten or twelve hours, wouldn't it? So stick that in your whatever you want, so Nicholas. So take that, Nick, and Merry Christmas. Oh yeah, Merry Christmas, and I. Don't know you well enough to hate you, so uh, don't take this badly. And we just talked there, that's pretty much the cycle of the game, is you explore the overworld, you find the next dungeon you need to go to, go in the dungeon, you get the instruments that you need to wreck the windfish, and along the way you will find a new item. The new item you'll use in some way within that dungeon, you will then also be able to, once you leave the dungeon, be able to use that item to access the next dungeon of the overworld, Mm. and you do that over and over to get through, which... Sounds on paper, sounds boring and tedious, and it really isn't. It's such a joyful, pleasurable game to play. It is, yeah. It's brilliant. Mm. It also has, along the way, it's the first occurrence of a fishing game in a Zelda game, which reappeared in Ocarina of Time. Yeah. So that's cool. And there's also the trading game, which I remember having great fun with. Now, before we started recording, we started playing Tome or Toem. 
poem. And you were saying about how, oh, it's really good because characters and that they give you missions, you have to go off and do them, and then they give you items along the well, way. It's really be- it's really good well, because no, I was describing what the game right, was. And I said, oh, let's have a go at that because that reminds me of... Uh, of something that's this part of the game we're playing today. And that's what you were thinking. That's that. Yeah. Well, there is a, a game that has come out, I think, this year that has an even stronger parallel to the trading sequence in Link's Awakening, even somewhat, even going so far as to say that it was an influence, a direct influence on the game. Okay. And that is Time on Frog Island, which is a game where you end up as the protagonist on an island that is populated with all kinds of characterful frogs. And the entire game is completing these very long, well, not always long, I don't believe, but these trading sequences between people. This person will say, oh, I want some nuts, and you've got to go find some nuts, but the person that's got the nuts probably wants something else, and you have to... It's basically uh, the red paperclip well, situation, the game. Funny you should mention that. The the, the trading game has actually said that it's exactly how it works, and... The red paperclip, if anyone's not familiar with, is this whole thing that someone did a few years ago. Where you're going to tell me he got this from this? No. The red paperclip, where it's where someone had a red paperclip and he decided to trade it for this item, and then that item he traded for this item. And I remember looking into this years ago um, because there was an episode of the American Office that had a subplot that was inspired by the red paperclip. So I went down a rabbit hole looking into Mm. this, and I I remember along the way he got tickets to an Alice Cooper concert. He ended up with a snowmobile at one point. He ended up with a house, but the whole concept is apparently there's a, a, a tale from Japanese folklore called the Straw Millionaire, and that's the original progenitor of all those sort of stories. Right. And that's that, interesting. that was the direct influence on Link's Awakening, Japanese, obviously, and the Red Paperclip story just happens to be a, a hard a version of that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the Red Paperclip thing was interesting. It, it was cool. He It was trading up and trading up, yeah. and there were some down trades. Yes. Like he felt like he got something that was less valuable, uh, or a trade fell through in a way that meant that he ended up lumbered with something. But the the trend was just upwards, and yeah. he ended up going from a red paperclip through massive mass, uh, masses of steps to owning a house, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous and crazy. It was only 13 steps. 13, is that it? Yeah. Oh, well, even so. Yeah. I, I do seem to recall that some of the steps, once people got wind of the story, some of the steps were, like, ultra generous. Right, okay. Um. Obviously not trading a red paperclip for a house generous. I think it was like red paperclip pen and so on. And Something so on. like that. Um, so it started off small, but then, yeah, some quite generous people jumped in. There are other side missions alongside that. And then there's also the seashells. There are a number of seashells, a bit like the Koroks, I guess, in Breath of the Wild, but also these appear in lots of Zelda games. And if you get 20 of them, you unlock a special sword that yeah. fires energy beams. that sound familiar? Yeah. Well, it's, an, it's a... It's a standard, it's a staple of Zelda games. Master Sword, isn't it? Yeah. It is and it isn't. In Koenon in, 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 in Island, the Master Sword doesn't exist. So it's a stand-in for the Master Sword. But, yeah, I see where you're going with it. Yeah. Um, little story here as well I, I didn't know about. In the shop on Koenon's Island... Thief. It, yeah, you knew this. Yeah. yeah. I'm very impressed. Go on, you tell the story. Or we did it. That's why. Oh, you, like, of course you did. Um... If you so you had to buy a bow and arrow at some point. You, there's no way to get, as far as I remember, there's no way to get a bow and arrow without buying it from the shop. But it costs eight hundred rupees, which is a heck of a lot, and it's available from the beginning of the game. So an option that you weren't you weren't clear was an option. When you go into the shop, in order to purchase a thing, you go over to the thing, you pick it up, and you walk it over to the shopkeeper and press A to to buy it. But that then offered the opportunity to just walk around the shop with things. So if you pick up some bombs and you walk around the shop, the shopkeeper's not going to say anything. You can put it back down and not buy it, or you can go over to him and buy it. The other option you have, though, is to pick a thing up, go behind the shopkeeper and sneak out of the door. And if you do that, you get to keep it. It's brilliant. Yay! Downside is that the shopkeeper admonishes you when you go back in. And everybody on the island from then on calls you by the name Thief instead of the name that you put in. So, you know, it depends on how <laughs> how you feel about that because you can use this trick. It's not a trick. It, I suppose it is a trick. You can use this to get the bow and arrow from the very beginning of the game you, and save yourself 800 rupees and, and the time to collect them. So, yeah, it's pretty... It's a good option to have. I think it's really good that they put it in the game as yeah. You can do this if you want, but actions have consequences. They do, yeah. 
I mean, they're very mild. Everyone just calls you thief. But I also think that that's... Yeah, it will hurt your feelings. I think it's also neglecting the fact that rehabilitation exists and, you know, you can be reformed. It's maybe halfway through the game they should stop calling you thief. I've never really thought about it before either, but it's also playing on that moral angle that the whole narrative is playing on. Because, you know, it... There's a moral question as to whether you should actually wake the windfish mm-hmm. up. And there's a moral question there as to whether you should or shouldn't really steal the bow and arrow. The, the, question, the question isn't as straightforward as it seems in so much as you are doing something that has a good purpose So you and you need the bow and arrow to do it. Therefore, maybe it's okay to steal the bow and arrow. However, the good thing that you're doing is also quite a selfish thing. Yeah. And therefore, maybe it's not the right thing to be doing in the first place. However, if Link were to be stuck in that dream, how many countless bad things would be happening out in the world? So waking up may be the morally right thing to do. It may be the morally wrong thing to do. Who knows? It's a dubious... A lot of depth this game. A lot more than I think I gave it credit for. When I was playing it, I wasn't thinking these things no, necessarily, but I think that there's a there is a great deal of um, fertile ground for 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 philosoph for philosophizing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, cool. Okay, a couple more points then before we wrap up and start playing the game. The credits. There are only twenty staff members mentioned in the credits of this game, and five of them are down as special thanks. But one of the people that helped on the game was Shigeru Miyamoto. He was a yeah. producer, but he did nothing apart from test the game and gave them feedback, which they then implemented. Yeah. So that was cool. IGN voted this the 40th best game ever. Yep. And it sold 3.83 million copies by 2004, and it currently has a 90% rating on game rankings. When pretty good. When did IGN do their top 100 for this? I was thinking that as I was saying that. I think it was like 2010, 2011. Okay. I think it will probably have changed. It'll be interesting to see if we can find a more updated version of that. Um, I, I incidentally was looking at Rock Paper Shotgun's uh, top ten, uh, top one hundred PC games, which obviously won't have Link's Awakening on. But the top one hundred is a really interesting read. Staff picks. Okay. Rock Paper Shotgun do it really interestingly anyway, because they have top one hundred staff picks and they have top one hundred users picks. The top 100 staff picks, number one, and I wholeheartedly applaud this and support it. Solitaire. Return of the Obra Dinn. Solitaire. You are Come thick. on. <laughs> it's Christmas and you're pushing me to the edge. You're trying every little step. No, Return of the Obra Dinn, which is so well-deserved, um, but was a complete surprise. Never saw that coming at all. Um, well worth a read, the, uh, the top 100 RPS games cool mm. right. i have nothing else that's to say about everything is it oh we're ending on a non-game related thing that's fine it was worth yeah. saying i reckon it's not a non-game thing the rps non non-zelda related i sort of jumped in fine. off the back of your ign thing yeah, and um ruined ruined the whole episode no Never mind. half the course we're gonna play the game though so yes, that's yes, please. we'll see you in the second half What a way to kick off our Christmas. Too right. What a treat. Thank you it's for bringing this game. It, it's um, it's, it's brilliant. Lovely. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Like we were just talking um, before starting back. I said to Ashley, is there anything you don't like about this game? Any negatives? And you said... No. And I said, nope, me neither. Like there is there is nothing nothing I dislike about this. It's, it's so good. It's, it's brilliant. Elephant in the room, Nicholas... We did have a look on how long to beat, and the main story is listed at 14 and a half hours, but the... There's a few Let's Plays on YouTube at about between five and six hours. Yeah, and the lower, like, faster playthroughs can come down to about seven hours. So it's entirely within reason to think that we might have been playing this game through 
in a day. And on top of that, and I don't know why he didn't back me up, clearly suggests something about our relationships, our, our respective relationships with Christopher. But Chris was like, yeah, yeah, you can probably do that. I think I seem to remember doing it as well. So... Yeah, don't know why he didn't back me up in the first half. Bad guy. Happy Christmas. <laughs> yeah, now that the beef's dealt with, <laughs> yeah. the game's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Whatever speed you play it at. Yeah, well, firstly, the thing I liked is the structure, how, I think we said this in the first half, how linear it is, but it's not to its detriment. Like, what you while you're exploring, you might notice in the distance or on, on one screen, okay, there's there's a hole there. So let's log that in the memory so I can come back later on once I get over the hole. And then later on, when you jump over the hole, you'll encounter something else like a rock. And the game has already quite heavy, heavily handedly, but not spelt it out for you, that you will get something that will enable you to move those rocks. So you think, okay, when I get the item, I can come back and move these rocks. And the, the layers of the game, the way it unfolds like that, is it's really, really clever. Yeah. The So none of what Chris has said there maybe sounds to anybody listening as revolutionary or uh, groundbreaking. And even when Link's Awakening came out, it was probably, there were probably things that were already being done uh, elsewhere. The thing, though, is the the way that Nintendo have packaged it up and the way that they've executed those elements just ex, sort of exceeds anything around it. It's, mm. it's always the case. Before we started um, recording today, we were playing Splatoon, Splatoon 3 on the Switch. It's a shooter. It's a shooting game, multiplayer sh- online shooter, but just, just done completely differently. And it took Nintendo to consider how they might bring that genre over to their over to their platform mm-hmm. to m- sort of break the mould in that way. I'm, lots of other people are doing it in lots of other ways. Nintendo have got a way about them, haven't they? And, I, and you can see it here. So that quality oozes from it. Yeah. There, there probably would have been games that came out around this time that did a similar sort of thing, but, you know, 1993, I was seven, I and I can't really think of any that were similar to this. Not really, no. There were, I didn't play them at the time, but there were games like the Final Fantasy, I can't remember what they called them on the Game Boy, but there were the Final Fantasy games on the Game Boy. Something, something adventure, I think. Okay. But, um... They were adventure games, but again, they just didn't have the same fluidity of of uh, and um, what's it called when you're sort of being carried along on a wave? Momentum. Mm-hmm. This game has a momentum to it that just keeps it moving forward all the time. So a perfect example of that is actually when you come out of the tail cave, having just defeated your first enemy and your first, uh, sorry, your first big boss and your first um, dungeon. You come out of the tail cave, you walk a few screens, and suddenly you're bombarded with this new urgent music, and the two twins that have been playing outside the library with their ball, they come running over to you, and they're like, oh no, there's an emergency, someone's stolen Bow Wow. It's pushing you into the next part of the game, into what will lead to Bottle Grotto, but doing it in such a way that like, you've had a few moments to take a breath, but it's still sort of keeping the momentum going yeah. forward. And the game's saying, like, go to this area. Yeah. But it's not saying out now, go to this area. It's funneling you towards well, that. It, it's kind of saying that, but in a way that feels natural. Hmm. It, it's it's not saying your next objective is Bustle Grotto and Bow Wow. It's saying, oh, no, there's this emergency in the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very grounded yeah. in that sense. And, and those two things together actually lead me nicely into the next point, is, is the, almost the cartography of the game. I really like how the, the, the physical geography, it feels like an island. Like, as you're exploring, as you're building it bit by bit, exploring new places with the new items you get, you get this like, mental map of where to go. So as soon as you get a new item, oh, okay, I can now go back to this screen where I can do something. How do I get to that screen? Oh, okay, I'll go to here, and then I go south, and I go west. Mm. And I really like, and I remember that, I find that really rewarding, is that, building up of the whole world as a, as a whole living, breathing area. It's something that I really enjoy in games anyway, and we were talking about it while we were playing, but the idea that you can visit somewhere that doesn't exist yeah. is is a is an experience that for a great many people who don't have interest in games, they are missing out on that. I, I can walk around in my head, I can walk around so many places that feel like places, places that I've visited and and uh, lived, yeah, existed in, rather than lived in, but existed in. And it's one of the magic elements of playing games, certainly a a certain uh, category of games, that you can visit these places. And Caroline Island is one of them. I, as Chris said, 
I can sort of walk myself around Coeland Island. I know the general directions of all the different uh, landmarks. And it, it came back to me so quickly. Yeah. Like, knowing, okay, the telco's over here and the, the swamp is above the woods, all that. Like it just, And whether that's because I played the game a lot or whether because the geography of it is so well realised, I don't know. Maybe probably both things together, I guess. Yeah. These worlds... So I lived in... Link, I lived in Lincoln when I was a, a young boy, pre eight, which I'm sure people who have heard me suggest before uh, say before. But we lived on an estate, and that estate was it had very specific bounds. And we would go out in my sort of young boyish mind, we would go out adventuring around the estate. We had places that we would go. So there was the Beck which was a tiny little stream that would run that ran through a part of this estate and we had a, a hideout mm-hmm. sort of place that we would go to there was a BMX track and there was a running stadium and things and there were also the outer bounds areas there were the places that you weren't supposed to go and i remember living and growing up on that estate i remember it feeling very much like a place to explore and an adventure right. every every summer or every weekend you'd be out on your bike or your little red tractor, doing something, being in the place. Yeah. I think of certain game worlds, and this is one of them, I think of certain game worlds in exactly the same way that I think of my childhood growing up in that very specific space, which is, yeah, kind of, I'm I'm kind of realising that now, but it's also something that I knew before, if that makes sense. Yes, it's testament to how well the game has been created, the the fact that it it feels real, that that in your mind it sits alongside something that was genuinely a real experience. Yeah, and and it again speaks to what we were talking about in the first half, where we have this delineation between the real and the unreal, and that we think of it as quite specific boundaries, but then at the same time, the unreal elements of our lives can have quite a profound impact on the real elements Mm -hmm. of our lives. And I suppose this is a similar sort of thing, like as a child experiencing Hyrule for the first time on the SNES or or Coralint Island on the Game Boy or many many varied other worlds across other consoles or or gaming machines. Those things are quote-unquote unreal, but they can feel just as real in quite tangible ways Mm. as our real lived existence. So another thing that bears repeating, if I I have said it or something like it so far, is that um, Link's Awakening on the Game boy does stand up very well alongside i i think i said to you shoulder to shoulder and i would repeat that again because it does bear repeating but it stands shoulder to shoulder with its bigger brother on the snes the uh, a link to the past and that is in all kinds of categories the story that it's telling is as compelling and engaging it looks fab i'm actually looking at the pause menu now and i know it's just a pause menu it's fairly spare but there's a violin on that pause menu that you can you look at it. It's a violin. There's a little key that they that they put some character to because it's for the tail cave. It's got a it's got a tail flicking up like a scorpion's tail, um, and yeah, a, and a tin of no, no. A, a tin of um, food. food that has got a cat on the front. Everything here is just very very well realized. Realised, yeah, and created. It, it looks it's so it's wonderful. A Game Boy game from 1993. Yeah, look at the shape of magic yeah, exactly, exactly what I was looking at. It's, it's, you can see the creases, and it's all done with just the a handful of pixels. When you compare that to Link to the Past, Link to the Past looks fabulous, absolutely fabulous, but it had a whole heck of a lot more power yeah. to and to be to render it. This was in the palm of your hands. This mm. is something you're looking down on while, while playing. It, it's yeah, it's the, the world impressive. of Coalint Island feels just as big in some ways yeah. as um a link to the past as well. And the story that it tells is as engaging as the story in a link to the past, if not maybe more so. I think that they're the 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 layers that we've talked about, the themes that it's dealing with maybe are more striking more um there's more meaty it's mm-hmm. meatier than maybe a link to the past yeah, was offering I, I think so link to the past is a very well i think a fairly standard uh rescue the princess story this has so many more facets to it so yeah it, and and i think actually as well you might be able to speak to this, but it was one of the things that struck me even then. I knew coming off the back of Ocarina of Time, coming off the back of The Link to the Past, that and, and my experiences of Game Boy versions of console games, I knew that I shouldn't expect too much of it, and yet blew me it, away yeah. in exactly the same way. There must have been something about the fact that when I went to my friends on that New Year's Eve, Eustace's, 
the fact that she was playing this game and it just grabbed me like the, just something about it and I don't know what it was the graphics whereas the music the structure just all those things together like it just builds it to one package that as as we've said a few times the last few minutes it's on a Game Boy it's mm. a game from 1993 it's it's brilliant. Yeah, it is. I had a similar experience with Metroid 2, which we have had a... We've done a last an episode on. Last October. I, I was going to say, do you know what the number is? But I can't remember the number. No, but I wouldn't have been surprised if you had. But you have given me a date. Yeah. Last October. Brilliant. Good stuff. I mean, that impresses me every single time. It happened. That's what I know. <laughs> Couldn't tell you when. Yeah, so I had a similar experience on that. It just felt like a an adventure that broke out of the bounds of its tiny little case. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably there are lots of experiences like that. But when when you look at the other experiences that were available on the Game Boy, Super Mario Land is Super Mario Land because of its um, diminution yeah, from from World. From world. And it felt like it had been shrunken down and uh, made bite-sized. Similarly, I had Lemmings on the Game Boy. And when you compare the experience of playing Lemmings on the Game Boy to the experience of playing it on the Mega Drive or the SNES, it's a very different kettle of fish. It's the same game, but it just doesn't feel, doesn't have the same characterfulness. I guess with Lemmings, you've lost the colour there. You do. With Link's Awakening, and there's the ones you've mentioned, the fact it's black, white, grey... Like it doesn't detract from it. It's still such a, a lived-in experience, such a, a well-rounded realization. Yeah, vi- visually striking in its own way. I mean, I say Lemmings. Lemmings is a very particular one, isn't it? Because they were already working with uh, distinct limitations in yeah. terms of what they could um, create with those few pixels. But the the list would go on. I had Pool, um, which was a pool game on the Game Boy. I mean, interestingly, needed colours for that. Yeah, I'm just going to say that. I think it had numbers or spots and stripes or something like Mm. that um, to get around the colour limitations. I had pool, and that felt like a very stripped-down version of a PC game that I was uh, playing of pool um, at the time. And I had Alleyway, which is a version of Crackout, if you remember Crackout or Breakout, those different games. Alleyway was a, a Game Boy version, and again, it just lacked something that the console version was able to offer. Mm-hmm. For the most part, it felt like at least my offerings, the things that I had on the Game Boy experience on the Game Boy, it just felt like everything had to be stripped down to get it on there. And I appreciated that and it was fine. But then you had these breakout moments where games just expanded beyond and the fact it was on the Machine Boy, it didn't matter. It was still a great game. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that aspect about colour leads me nicely. It may be moving away from this game into Link's Awakening DX. Seems like a nice segue. Yeah. Which was the 1999 re-release on the Game Boy Colour. Now, obviously, as we said, Link's Awakening was obviously monochrome because of the limitation of the Game Boy. So when the Game Boy Colour came out to sort of launch it, Nintendo remastered, remade, I guess, Link's Awakening. Um, I'm not sure why it's DX. Director's Cup. That's generally what DX stands for. Yep, there we go. That's that answered. So, Nintendo wanted to sort of show off the capabilities of the Game Boy Color, so they turned to Link's Awakening as being one of their flagship Game Boy titles and decided to retool it for the Game Boy Color. So, it had color graphics, there was a special dungeon added in which was color based, and when you complete this dungeon, you had the choice of equipping either a red tunic or a blue tunic. The red tunic increased Link's attack power, the blue tunic increased Link's defense power. You could only choose one of those, you obviously could choose both of them. If you tried to play Link's Awakening DX on a Game Boy, you could play it, obviously it would be monochrome, but the color dungeon was just taken out, so it was something in the code that would Acknowledged the fact you were playing on a Game Boy and just removed it from the game. It also had, because it's launched alongside the Game Boy Color, compatibility with the Game Boy Printer. And there was a whole side quest that went alongside the trading quest with, with this Photoshop where you had to take 12 photos in the game. And what you could then do is you could then print them out. Yeah. <laughs> the Game Boy Printer was an interesting little uh, side project. It it, well, I had a friend that had it. I can remember him bringing it to school one day and showing me it. I, I remember it almost like a fax machine where it just printed out like row, row, row. And the quality of what came out wasn't great. But Yeah. You know. I mean, printers do work that way. They tend to work with row, row, row. True. So it's not a fax machine thing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just maybe the, the rinky dink technology kind of in my head is tied up with a fax machine. Rinky dinks may be the right, right yeah. version of it. I think at the time, 
digital cameras were starting to come into the fore and Possibly. people were actually buying digital cameras. So I think there was, so this cuts two different ways. It was great as a child, the idea of having your own digital camera mm. and the fact that it was tied to the Game Boy and obviously people would have quite strong associations with the Game Boy, like strong attachments to the Game Boy. There was that aspect, but there was also the fact that most digital cameras, though they would pale in comparison to what we have now, most digital cameras would have absolutely blown the Game Boy oh, yeah. camera out of the water. It was very limited in what it could produce. Yeah. And the things it did produce, they were, uh, in my view, subpar. Is that a friendly, polite <laughs> way to say it? You, you also mentioned off mic another memory you have with Link's Awakening DX, which I thought was quite funny. You and your friend playing it together. Oh, that's not DX. Oh, my! I think my friend had DX. Yep. So is that what I said? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So me and my friend, um, who did a lot of playing games together, we would, and, and who was also uh, into Pokemon, and we did a lot of Pokemoning together in this same vi- uh, way. We did also play Link's Awakening together, but what that entailed was me going around to his house or him coming around to mine, sitting in the same room for several hours playing on our separate Game Boys, saying very few words. <laughs> did you play through? I was trying to so amuse as an idea. Did you like play through it at the same time? Just like, you know. No, we didn't have to be at the same point. So, yeah, right. We would, Just, we were wherever we were, we would. By happenstance, it was the same game. The thing is, he knew the game as well as I knew it. Right. So this was in that same period of time where I was playing it every single day. So we, we would be playing it together and we played it like that multiple times over the course of a summer or something i don't remember exactly when it was i guess it's in the year. social playing it alongside someone else yeah i think in a room you know when you're friends with somebody because you can be with them without yeah. expectation or yeah. whatever that's one of those signs isn't it and i think that was part of that i we were just very comfortable in mm. each other's company and enjoyed being in each other's company but maybe not talking to each other necessarily all the time well, it had to be because it was okay. nice to be together yeah yeah well, Link's Awakening DX um, sold 2.2 million copies. I remember it being pretty well received. I remember lots of advertising uh, for it as well. Also, interestingly, added in hints to the boss battles was another little... Um, how did you do that? the hood fix. I, I don't know, maybe like... Well, we talked while playing about how there was no help text, that when you were required to do things, players, uh, characters, sorry, would give you hints. There is also, interestingly, there's a, a telephone system where there's there's different huts dotted around the island, and you go in and there's, there's an old man called Uriri, Uriru, something like that. And he will... He Is that will... supposed to be the sound of a telephone ringing? Perhaps. Hmm. And he will give you hints, kind of your next objective, or suggest places to go. Interesting, you can actually visit him in person and he doesn't talk to you. And I think the idea there, as him as a character... Mm, he is, Yeah, exactly, mm. which I, I really like as well. So there, there is a hint system in that, and we said that we quite like how the hints are there, but it's not heavy-handed. So I don't know if maybe in this it is that they literally pop on screen. Maybe if you struck them with a boss, it pops, but I don't know. Yeah. But they were added in. Mm. Okay. The DX ver- version was then released on the virtual console for 3DS in June 2011. And then finally, as I mentioned in the first half, the game got remade for the Switch in 2019 by a development team called Grezzo. Now, I was yep. really excited for this when it was first announced because I really loved the style of it. And I thought, well, well, firstly, the fact I can actually get my hands on it for once because I have a Switch, but also the way they've, they've remade it look, they almost like claymation, mm. like the, the style of it looked so, so good. And sadly, I thought the remake didn't quite live up to my expectations. Uh, a lot of reviews cited, and it's something I had as well, was slow down. Like it, it was, there were certain places, particularly the, the swamp we got to today, where the frame rate dropped quite a lot. And I don't know for whatever reason it was, maybe it was the slowdown or, or whatever, but it just didn't quite have the same resonance for me. I didn't feel the same attachment playing it through on the Switch. And if I were to play this again, I would go back to the original on the Game Boy. I wonder how many young'uns would feel the same. It So I generally don't mind remasters, remakes pulling from uh, an old well or whatever because we I think we've had this conversation before I've probably proffered this argument to you whether it was on the podcast or not but nobody complains about being able to watch um, Casablanca or well people might complain about watching Casablanca I don't know but you can yeah and with every new technological 
step forward in films we have made available not always and this is this is a problem but we've made available a great slew of the history of film we struggle with that in games anyway so the the idea of preservation is is a big topic in many communities in the gaming sphere um and generally it's something that's done very poorly by mm -hmm. the companies that create the products and it isn't it particularly easy to do for people who are trying to do it as enthusiasts? Well, this Link's Awakening remake on the Switch, this is now the only place you can get Link's Precisely. Awakening. So your point is, um, just to jump in, is I'm guessing the fact that, well, at least we can still play it. Yeah, so there is, yes, that, but also this is a way to give it to people who have not grown up with what we've grown up with it's quite fine for us to look at a game boy game and go yeah that's a game boy game yeah. that's fine it's fine but because of the huge technological leaps from the 90s to the noughties to the uh, from the noughties to the tens and tens into the 20s less so with that latter part but because of these huge technological leaps there are necessary not necessary there are understandable barriers to entry for people that maybe started gaming in the noughties or the 2010s because they see things and it doesn't quite work the way they expect there are certain there are certain norms that have become the norm across games and game yeah. standards of have, have improved control standards have improved well fast in black and white the fact that it is in black and white yeah I, that is a barrier for people even with films with film, like people yeah. people look at films and go that's in black and white it's not for me yeah or that's got subtitles it's not for me or yeah. it's silent that's not for me when i used and to actually, work at the uh, the cinema that was one of the things i can't remember which film it was but i remember I was, it was a, a film and it was one i'd seen and i was trying to sell it to someone that came to Someone walked in, I was on the ticket bit, and someone walked in and said, I want to see a film, what would you recommend? No. And I said, and I, I understand which film it was, and he said, I don't come to cinema to read. And I, I didn't know what to say to that. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a fairly common um, feeling, fairly common sentiment with subtitles for some strange reason, but you are putting yourself away from a whole slew of amazing experiences and um, insights into cultures around the world. That's what I would say on that. I could talk about that probably for another whole podcast. It's a similar thing here. We are not necessarily... We're not necessarily going to have seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 14-year-olds who are interested in playing a black-and-white game from the 90s. They might well enjoy the experience, but there are a number of barriers to entry that they aren't interested in trying to overcome yeah. because they've you know, understandably grown up with different standards. If, therefore, a remaster allows them to access something that we enjoy and treasure, then I think that's only a really a good thing, mm -hmm. as long as it's treated as best as they can. Yes, there are unfortunate downsides, like the fact that, and I think it was a fact, there were a number of performance issues with that particular remaster. It's unfortunate, but at the same time, it's available. Yeah. And I think the availability is important. Did you play the, the remaster? I've played some of it, but I had a similar experience to you where it just felt like retreading the same, but without the charm. I'm saying that knowing full well that for plenty of people, the charm will have been there because they've yeah. never experienced the first one. All of my experience of that remaster is tied up with my experiences with this and Completely. the adoration <laughs> that I have for it so i don't write it off by any stretch i'm willing to put with a few performance issues sometimes oftentimes if i think the game is good so yeah hopefully there are plenty of people in the audience that are i, I can that way. i could least it to 100 percent. so oh, there you go. I'm I'm still with too it. Bad, no right it just uh right well there we go links away links away what a game ticked off yes yeah good 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 start to christmas thank you for bringing it thank you if you are still here for listening all the way to the end, you are a trooper. We are around on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and Twitter in various different ways to varying different degrees, but you can always try and contact us via any of those and we will do our damnedest to get back to you. Have a really good Christmas and, uh, well, hang on. Going we're going to be doing, we, we've got another episode next week, haven't we? We have. Yeah, we've got another episode next week. It's my one. So it'll be a game that I 
associate with Christmas in one way or another. Yeah, please do join us for that. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Bye, everybody.